This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Welcome to this edition of the Side Alpha Podcast. This is Mark Bashore, and I'm joined today with Division Chief Kent Davis from the Charlotte Fire Department. We're going to talk to Chief Davis in a minute about uh, what Charlotte Fire Department's been doing with all of the protests uh, associated with the George Floyd death. Um, Fire Rescue One has been tracking the violence that's been affecting firefighters and medics across the United States. Atlanta, Austin, Cleveland, Denver, La Mesa, California, uh, and the incident we're going to talk about here in a minute in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, The Charlotte Fire Department was standing by uh, with the Charlotte Police Department during protests uh, over the death. The fire department was in what they called a PAC, a police assist company, that's police assist company. A lot of us uh, are familiar with rescue task force, the RTFs uh, and that concept, but the police assist company is something that I believe the Charlotte Fire Department began planning for in around 2015, 2016. They had some own challenges there and they had some planned events coming up. And uh, Chief Davis, if you could talk about first, uh, just a little bit about what that a police assist company is again, and then go right into the incident and talk about how that uh, the, the PAC was able to have positive impact with this incident. Okay. Um, for us, police assist company is, is different than a rescue task force. We do the rescue task force response model for active shooter, but that's the a basic skill set that's on every company. So every company is trained in to integrate with uh, the police department in dealing with active shooter active violence events we've actually done training where we've taken individual firefighters and put them with all the patrol officers together at the range and had them do different scenarios so when you think about rtf that's just the basic skill set that we do across the board for everybody Um, beyond that it's been the more technical realm of assisting law enforcement we do with the police assist company which has two primary roles they assist the swat and they assist the CU platoons. Um, that part of that kind of grew out of our experiences with the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, back in 2012. Um, we were doing kind of what we're doing now with them, but it was more of a team-based approach, and people came off the truck to work that event. Um, I actually did an EFO paper shortly after that that looked at that and looked at the active shooter response, and out of that came the need to support law enforcement in civil unrest, and the need to support law enforcement and tactical operations. And that's what the program was developed to do. Um, they basically have four things they deal with. They deal with fires a weapon, whether it's in a barricade or a hostage or a situation or during an act of violence event or during civil unrest. They do decontamination in civil unrest. They do patient extraction in civil unrest, and they do officer extraction. Um, we do not, we're not, they're not tactical medics. There is a uh, medic is our county provider. They have their own tactical medic team. They're great. They're a good team. And we work side by side with them in both the tactical world and the CEU world. Um, for us, we have four stations. The primary response truck is going to be the ladder company because in these type of events, especially on the SWAT side, you want the big toolbox and then the engine company supports them uh, beyond that. Uh, when you're dealing with the CEU, um, well, let me backtrack. So we have the four stations spread around the city for coverage. Um, when you deal with the CEU, both the engine and the ladder attach to one platoon. And, and so Chief, for every, 
Yeah. Chief, I'm sorry. Yeah. When you say you have the four stations around the city, you mean four stations that are police assist companies? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we have four four two piece houses that are positioned around the um, around the city that are just police com assist company trained. Mm. Um, and they and so have, they, um, in addition to their regular apparatus, what else do they have that that makes them that pack? Uh, nothing really. I mean, we've done a, a little bit of specialty equipment, but basically they're there to do the firefighter skills that present themselves, whether it's forceful entry, um, heavy breaching, um, dealing with fire as a weapon. They do some extraction, some tactical extraction, but those are all basic firefighter skill sets. They're just trained on how to do them in conjunction with law enforcement in a, uh, in, in a more difficult environment. Uh, sure. We don't operate on the X, um, except in the civil unrest. When it comes to the tactical world, we don't operate on the X. These our guys just work in the warm zone and um, assist the SWAT guys. Um, they don't fall into the stack. They're there to provide okay. equipment, expertise on commercial buildings, um, the elevator recall, things like that. Yeah. So that uh, perfect segue into uh, the incident. Uh, uh, here at the end of May uh, 2020 with the protest going on over the uh, uh, George Floyd death. Uh, and you had a pack that was standing by in uh, in town. Uh, I believe it was the uptown area, they call it. And um, they were behind the line and they were watching um, a line of protesters march up the road. So if you can kind of take us from there, it, it, it sounds like uh, and if I get this right, then I got it right. But it sounds like they were marching up the road and something happened. They fell into something. So if you can kind of take us from there, what they saw, what they did and what was happening while all that was going on. Yeah, um, I don't, I'm not totally sure exactly how the person ended up in the grate. The, these grates are the typical sidewalk grates in our downtown urban area. You know, a thousand people walk over them every day, and it's the first time somebody's fell in. So, mm -hmm. kind of makes us think that they were trying to do something uh, nefarious, maybe, um, sure. and and it didn't go well. But sure. it's how it how it happened is no one on law enforcement or on the fire side even saw it happen. Okay. The the, uh, the protesters came ran, running at the line. Where, like they've been doing all night, yelling and screaming, and unfortunately for them, it was initially mistaken as them coming back at the line. So it took a little bit, and they got their attention and told them somebody had fell in, and that, you know, that in, that instigated the line being pushed beyond where the grates at to secure the area. Um, the pack team that was there, uh, the two companies that were there, actually made access to the grate and went down to the individual to start doing patient care. Uh, they realized pretty quickly. That he was about 20 feet in the vault. There was no access to the interior of the, of the building. That way, they were going to have to come up, and that's when the uh, company officer just actually pulled the box for a confined space rescue. Okay, and then so that brought extra resources, and uh, they actually went through a, a you know probably a modified uh, confined space rescue operation, is what it sounds like. And the the protesters though they didn't stop. Uh, it, it sounds like the protesters continued doing what they were doing and your folks were operating with that, um, you know, just trying to get there and talk about that and, and what was being thrown at them and said to them. And, you know, what was the environment like? I mean, it is very tense. You know, it's a very hostile environment. That didn't change at all. 
we did see uh, over time we did see some of the protesters step up and take control of the crowd. Um, mm-hmm. I observed that some things were thrown and observed some of the protester leaders actually um, turning around and saying, basically, stop. Um, they were still going at law enforcement verbally. You know, they were still going at it. You know, part of the, part, one of the part of the issues we have is you see, we still had a lot of uh, we had a lot of munitions thrown, so we still had a lot of gas floating around. And uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced OC vapor. It is not fun. Um, it's a new vapor form that they're doing OC in, and it it lingers and it goes with the wind. So we had to deal with that also. Um, access yeah, so- was an issue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, it, it, to the OC, there was a, uh, a it was reading on some pepper spray that uh, was in a pepper. Uh, I believe they described it as a pepper bomb or pepper bullets, or um, some of those were being thrown both ways, and it was inevitable that that was interfacing with the the uh, firefighters that were in, in the middle of this confined space rescue. Uh, how close were the protesters to where the rescue was actually? occurring i mean they were close or you know 10 15 yards yeah um i've got i you know it's it, it's kind of it's i mean it's a different situation to deal with it and to have them right on top of you and you're watching your back because you never don't know what's going to happen but you know we have a relationship with cmpd and it's you know it's a relationship that's unlike any other in the country and so there's a trust there that we knew that they were going to keep them off of us good and so basically it was just getting the companies in. They actually, it was a typical downtown area, so square blocks. Um, and so we came in from one side. Luckily, the protesters were on the other side of the line, and they secured the uh, intersection behind us, which allowed us to get the ladder in to do uh, the long haul. And when we got done, we just, you know, uh, told the guys it's not time to pack the rope bags. Just throw it in the back and get it and get out. Uh, yeah, we did yeah. have some have some vehicles damaged during that during that incident, um, but overall we've come out pretty well so far in this whole this whole situation. So it was, it was a typical. He his injuries were not. Um, he was a priority one for mechanism of injury. You know, in a typical vault like that, it's probably got five or ten years worth of leaves and dust and dirt in the bottom. So it's not like it's a hard concrete landing. Yeah. So did they bring them out in a, in a Stokes basket or that kind of operation, or did they just rope them up and pull them up? No. Yeah. No. We did a long uh, a long haul off the tip of the aerial in a Stokes basket. Okay. Okay. Um, any uh, two, any two other... of the other two of the other protesters had gone down in the hole before we got there, so there was some tense moments running one of them out, but the other one understood that they were the guys were there to help him, and he left without too much trouble. Wow. Yeah, sounds like it was a pretty tense, uh, uh, pretty tense time there. Uh, so none of your folks were injured during that, but you did have some apparatus damaged. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, we had some windows busted. Wow. Okay. Um, any other events uh, before we kind of work towards the end to help some other fire departments here? Any other events that uh, Charlotte Fire Department's been involved in where firefighters have found themselves on that edge uh, while this has been going on? Um, I mean, nothing more than uh, for our guys, we push the the pack companies in that situation. So they're trained and they wouldn't even really call it on the edge. They, 2016, when we had our other riots, um, 
it kind of opened our uh, most of our most of their eyes to the level of hostility and anger that they're going to experience. Right. Um, and we do on top of the on top of the pack companies attaching to a um, a platoon, we stand up a task force, which is basically an engine company for us and four police officers. Mm-hmm. And when the incident starts up, we'll say the skirmish line's a hot zone, and about the hot zone will extend out maybe a block. And anything from that block out for three or four or five blocks was a warm zone, and those task force run all the calls in the warm zone. So we've not had issues, too many issues of companies having to drive through hostile crowds um, because we don't push our companies into those areas without law enforcement protection. And we yeah. we typically stand up two of the, of the task force to cover that. Okay. Um, we did have one company going to a on the first night Friday night going to a CPR that um had to drive through a crowd to get to CPR but the only reason they were on it is because we were so early in on in the spin up we had not put the covid protection um that our companies carry on the tankers that are the become the task force companies okay. so they couldn't run the CPR they didn't have the covid protection. Got it. So the COVID, um, the COVID issue kind of mixed in with the civil unrest issue and created a problem that night. Yeah, uh, and I, I can, uh, I can only imagine. So as we, as we talk about um, how we could help other fire departments that might be looking for the same kind of thing, one of the important things from any of these uh, incidents is that other departments are able to take things away that. Um, uh, or can be improvements for them or just lessons learned. And I'm curious whether your development of the PACs, um, it, it, it sounded like the DNC uh, convention that you had might have been kind of an impetus for starting this, but what was your own riots or uh, protests and the DNC event, was that the impetus for developing the PAC? Was that a lesson learned that said, you know what, we need to do this? Or where did the idea come from? And then how can you what what resources can you direct other fire chiefs or other fire departments to that might be looking to to do something like this? Well, for us, the skill set for DNC kind of started as a specialty team, and in a, in a city our size, specialty teams' responses don't really work. So we had the discussion of how to take a group that you call back for a you know a planned event. How do you create that to where you have coverage when it kicks off on a Friday night in the middle of the night and you can push a company up there real quickly. So about 2015, we had another officer shooting situation that was going to trial, and there was a lot of concern about that. And so the decision was made to go ahead and the the proposal had been made for the program, and the decision was made at that time to go ahead and put the program in place. And so we actually put the program in place. It, for us, it includes a 40-hour class um, and had everything in place for the build-up to this trial, and we did did some pre-deployments during the trial, and everything went well. And then a few months later, we had another officer-involved shooting, and it became real at that point. Um, and everything paid off. At that time, CMPD, which is the police department, said, you know, you guys, when it comes to civil unrest, you're 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 with us. You know, basically, you got a 51% or a 50% stake in every decision that's made. And that led to a lot of training. We do training with them all the time. Um, We train with the SWAT team as often as we can. Um, And it just, there's a relationship there. And if you don't have that relationship, you will never make something like this succeed. 
I mean, then the relationship has to go from the top all the way to the street level. Um, all, all this training and everything that's been done and all the policies and all the things, decisions that have been made have come out of the middle part and the lower part of the organization. So we have a relationship I can't speak highly enough about. Um, yeah. And with, without that, you'll never make something like this work. Um, and then it also, you have to internally have a decision, have a discussion about risk. You know, mm -hmm. we kind of decided that, you know, the risk is there. That either we assume the risk or the risk is going to be thrust upon somebody else. So unless we assume the risk that comes with getting in there and dealing with fires and civil unrest and injuries and decontamination, then someone else is going to have to assume that risk. And, you know, we're the best prepared to deal with it. So the decision we'll make, that, you know, we'll take that risk. We'll build a program about uh, about a program around dealing with that risk in the best way, and then we'll run with it. And we've had very good success with that. Good, it, good stuff. That relationship, the, the, the relationship that's led us down the path here is also on the active shooter side and the active violence side. We've had two significant events, including the campus shooting, that have gone very well operationally. Um, mm -hmm. So, without that relationship, you're gonna you're gonna fail with everything you try to do with law enforcement. So it sounds like you had several incidents that uh, drove you to, you know, we got to do something better to. Um, keep our folks safe, manage the risk, and uh, the pack sounds like a, a great uh, a great opportunity to, to do that. It was is there any uh, either websites or uh, resources you can point other chiefs to um, to to give them more information about what you did or uh, where they could obtain other information uh, that could help them? There's one other department we know of in the country that does it and they do it on the tactical side and that's level in Colorado. And we talked with them a good bit early on, um, picking their brains about how they do it and what they do. But there's such a difference in the size between us and them that, you know, like everything else, we took some of what they do and, you know, twisted it up to where it fit in what we do. And sure. it works well for us and what they do works well for them. If a, if an agency is in a uh, is not in a large urban area, they're they're going to struggle because civil unrest in the law enforcement world, you know, it's not something that a lot of agencies put a lot into. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you're dealing with a, a region that has a regional team, and you're only trying to do this in your in your jurisdiction, then you're going to struggle in trying to put something together. But you know, if you make the relationship with them. You can find something that'll work. Sure. Yep. And we're seeing um, the manifestation right now across the country and other fire departments uh, with uh, the injuries to firefighters, the damage to equipment, um, ambulances, fire trucks, and everything. So clearly, having something that uh, helps you manage that risk is is an important thing. Is there anything else, Chief, you want to add to uh, to the discussion today? No, well, I guess I'd, I'd you take it beyond the street level stuff. You know, it goes into the command center. You know, for us, the command center is we're sitting right beside the police department in the command center making decisions, and it's a back and forth discussion. We do things, they do things. We have a lot of discussions in the command center, but we're actually sitting there side by side. And medic, the medical agency, they're there in, in there with us. Um, so. You know, it's truly a team effort. 
we just assume some skill sets that you know fit the everyday fire service world and we put them in that environment yeah well that's that's great i appreciate you joining us today and i want to thank our listeners uh, for staying with us uh, thanks for joining us on this edition of fire rescue one's side alpha podcast join us next time right here until then keep safe stay smart and take care